0: Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit VoxChurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. Is anybody else excited to be in the house of God? I am, I tell you, I just, I love the church. I love the people of God with all the messes and all the challenges and all the joys and all the miracles. I love the people of God. I'm in a grateful mood today. I, uh, Friday night, I took my son Noah to go see uh, the Brooklyn Nets play. And uh, yeah, if you're a basketball fan, Kevin Durant scored like 39. It was a lot of fun. And we drove all the way there, which was not the smartest plan. And then all the way back, and, you know, navigating New York City, if you've ever done that, it's, it's wild. And, uh, and so we, we got all the way through, and, and we're on our way home. I'm literally about to get off the exit that uh, we are on, on the highway on 95, and out comes a deer that we hit at full speed, and, uh, and that was not awesome, and my cars looked better. But I woke up Saturday morning... 100%, no pain, no nothing for either of us. You know, didn't even hardly feel it. That my, yeah, which is great. But I woke up, my point is I just woke up grateful. I just woke up, I was like, Lord Jesus, little fresh perspective, glad I'm here. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, God, for another day. And it's just so funny, right? How one little thing can just remind you that every day is a gift. Every day is a blessing. And so I just think about that in light of today. I'm just so happy to be with you today. I'm excited to be in the family of God. And friends, there's so many miracles. I know that for me, Pastor Brandon Cormier blessed me last week. I hope you are encouraged by his message. Just an encouraging message on sanctification and on friendship with the Holy Spirit. Also, please be praying for our Worcester location. Our Worcester location has been meeting Sunday nights. Their launch team meeting all through COVID. They're starting Sunday morning services at the Palladium Theater, downtown Worcester, on Easter Sunday. And so we're very excited about that, praying for just an explosion of people meeting Christ. And so I just encourage you, remember we're one church at all of our locations. And so just be praying for the city of Worcester, second largest city in New England, and be praying that a church expands And the gospel advances in that city in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, amen. All right, we're gonna get into part four of this teaching on the Holy Spirit. Before we do, I've got some church business, all right? Church business. Now, I know that some of us, you know, maybe you're new to church, you haven't really given a whole lot of thought to church government. That's okay. Some of this might be a little confusing. Others of us, you've been in the church a long time. You kind of understand church government. So this will make a little bit more sense. But one thing that we're passionate at Vox is we're passionate to really bring everybody along bring everybody along in our journey together. And so um, just a couple of things about our church, and this is important stuff. And again, it'll be varying levels of care when we come to this stuff, but... For each of us, but Vox is led by what we call our central elder team. Okay, we don't talk about that team every week, but it's a group of godly men who steer the vision of our church, and that group of godly men partners with a group of godly women that we call our women's central uh, women's leadership council, WLC, Central Women's Leadership Council. And so these are godly women come alongside our elders, provide perspective, wisdom, input into the direction of the church. And so the last couple of years, one of the responsibilities that this team has is really setting like uh, policies for the vision of our church, and one thing that we've realized is that ten years old as a church, we've never really clarified this title of pastor at Vox Church. Okay, and so this is something that historically the church falls into two camps. Some churches say that the title of pastor is the same as the office of elder. Other churches say that the title of pastor can apply to you know some churches like anybody on staff. You could be like the custodian pastor. You know, like there's a lot of different pastor positions at some churches. So people kind of handle it in two different ways and. Uh, again, if this is something that you are really passionate about, you have more questions, our campus pastors at every location, they'll be available at the end of service. Pastors will be available here, talk you through, meet a, you know, take a time to meet with you, give you any of our kind of more theological membership documentation, all that stuff, and help you understand. But our church follows what we call a shared family model. And this is important to understand about the government of our church. It, it means that we believe that the pattern that God has established for leadership in the home is a picture of the pattern that God has established for the church because the church is the family of families. So the Bible describes the husband as the head of the house, okay? And then it describes the wife as what I would call the heart of the house. And so there's this dynamic where the husband and the wife complement one another in the home, and the goal is that there's thriving in the family. So the wife trusts the husband to lead, and then the husband uses his leadership to empower and serve. And so it's this give and take this back and forth, this sacred dance. And the result is that the family thrives. And so we seek to express that dynamic with our elder team and our women's leadership council working together and serving the church. And so we would say that the title of pastor is not the same as the office of elder, okay? The Bible describes an elder as a godly man who's leading the church, but it describes a pastor as someone who has the spiritual gift of shepherding, discipling people, or pastoring. And so an elder needs to pastor people, But not all people with the gift of pastoring will necessarily be elders. And so this is something we wanted to clarify at our church. So at Vox, we use the title of pastor for members of our staff whose primary role is shepherding, discipling, and spiritually leading people. This will include some of our elders, like our campus pastors who serve as our elders at each of our locations, our our, our lead elders at each location. But it will also include people that are not necessarily elders, someone like, for example, our community group pastor or a youth pastor that until now, we've not called these people pastors. We've called them directors, even though their role is primarily pastoral. So anybody that's on staff that carries the title pastor That that person's been approved by our central elder team, been vetted, and is in a process of development and training, okay? And so if all of this is kind of new to you and you're like, wait, church government, I don't understand, the next step for you, if you're kind of new to the church, would be our essentials class, where we just lay out some of the accountability in our church and how we do government. But if this is something that's not really new to you, but you have some specific questions, meet with our campus pastors, connect with one of our leaders, and we would love to talk it through. But our heart in all of our government and structure is to really be humble, to be intentional, to be biblical, and to be thorough. And so I love you know that phrase that says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. Because there is, in the world of church, a lot of different ways to do church government. And so we try to be specific and thorough, but also generous and open-handed. And so that's just one thing that we're continuing on that journey to, uh, to live out at Vox. And we wanted to keep everybody up to date. And So as we move into part four, of understanding the Holy Spirit. If you've been with us, you know that week one, we talked about what does it mean to live in the Spirit? Week two, we talked about what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit as my helper? Week three was last week, we talked about this idea of sanctification and understanding friendship with the Holy Spirit. But today, I have the privilege of talking about one of my favorite topics, something I've preached on a lot at Vox, but never quite at this angle, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. So you came on the right Sunday. You can turn to the person next to you and tell them, hey, we came on a good day. Justin gets to preach on the power of the Holy Spirit. I wanna read two texts to you. The first is in Matthew chapter three. John the Baptist says this. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, speaking of Jesus, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you, look at this, with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so John describes this thing, that he calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he connects it with the properties of fire. And then in 2 Timothy 1, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, for this reason, I remind you. Now, that's interesting. He's reminding him of something. In other words, you can forget. You can become distracted. It can become a second-class idea. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so if you want to jot some notes down I wanna talk to you for a few minutes under the heading, more than before, more than before. That's where I believe God's calling us. He's calling you to more than before. So let's pray and open our hearts to God. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you do a great work in us. Thank you that you are cultivating the culture of our church as a people who seek the Lord. I pray that you'd give us a thirst for the fullness of your spirit, that we would not be satisfied with just a percentage of what you've promised, but that our hearts would long for all that you've promised. I pray your blessing on your people today as we study your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Some people think that the truth sets you free, right? I'm sure you've heard that. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. That's actually not what Jesus said, and that's not entirely true. The truth will not set you free. He said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In other words, it's not the truth that sets you free, it's the truth you know. And that's an important distinction because there can be truth but if you don't know it and apply it and take hold of it, then the truth's not doing you any good, right? It's there, but it's not setting you free. And so this is important because all of God's truth is available to us, but that does not mean that all of our, all of God's truth is obtained or experienced by us. I heard a story years ago about a Native American chief who was very, very poor until the day that he discovered oil on his property in Oklahoma. And so he went from very poor to very rich overnight. And the oil was discovered, he became very wealthy, and this man who had lived in poverty his whole life decided one thing he wanted after he became so wealthy was a Cadillac. And so he bought a big, beautiful Cadillac. And he used to drive through the town that he was in in Oklahoma, and he would wave to everybody from his Cadillac. And the people of the town would laugh and laugh. And you might think, well, that's very disrespectful. Why would they laugh at this man? Well, they laughed at this man because he would sit on the hood of his Cadillac, and attached to the front bumper of the Cadillac, he had uh, a, he had tied two horses who would pull the Cadillac through town and he would wave. And you think, well, what in the world is he doing? See, this Native American chief had grown up in such poverty that he had never driven a car. He had never learned to operate a car, never put a key in an ignition, never turned a steering wheel. And so here he is with 300 plus horsepower under the hood living with two horsepower driving the vehicle because he just didn't know what was available, right? And it wasn't the truth that set set him free. It was the truth that you know. You have to apply it. Just because the power is available doesn't mean the power is experienced, right? Doesn't mean the power is experienced. And so when John, in, in Matthew chapter three, begins to describe the new life of the follower of Christ, he describes it with these words. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. In other words, the Christian life was never intended to be lived in your own strength. That's like driving a Cadillac with two horses pulling the front. There's a power within you. There's an engine that God provides for you that enables you to do things that would otherwise be impossible, right? And so that's the picture that God's, uh, that John is painting here. He's saying that God wants to submerge you, that's what the word baptism means, in the Holy Spirit and fire. And we see this, by the way, play out in the lives of the disciples. If you've read the book of Acts in the New Testament, you hear about these disciples who are, who are living afraid and timid, and, 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 and then in a moment in Acts chapter 2, they experience a filling of the Holy Spirit, and they're literally transformed into different people, right? It wasn't just something they believed by faith. It was something they experienced. That's so important. It was an experiential reality. They knew that they had encountered the Holy Spirit. Now, some people have taught that to be baptized in the Spirit is the same as being saved, okay? And certainly when a person is saved, when they trust Christ, you do receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, okay? So you have the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Christ. Only by the Holy Spirit could you receive Christ. Only by the Holy Spirit could you open your heart to Christ. Could you say yes to Christ? He enables you to do that. But the scripture also speaks of an encounter with God that is distinct from salvation in which the believer is endowed with power, an infusion of supernatural power that comes upon the believer. And the scripture gives this multiple names, the filling, the outpouring, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, other Christians have Said this baptism is a one time thing, you experience it once, and it's it that's the encounter with the Lord, and it's a one time thing. And I would say, as we study scripture together, that's true, it is a one time thing that often happens more than one time. All right, and so, four times in the New Testament, we're told that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. So, which time was he filled? Which time was he filled with the Spirit? And the answer to the question is. Yes, right, that God has new levels for you, that God has new power for you, that you can expand in your experience of the power of the Holy Spirit, all right? And so 1 Timothy chapter six, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter one, verse six, tells us that we have to fan into flame. Now, why would God say that? He would say that because it's possible for us to lose the fire. I'm not saying that you lose the Holy Spirit. I'm saying that the tangible reality of the power of God in your life wanes that you can lose it, that you can lose track of it, that when it's not priority, that when you don't seek the Lord, when you don't see it growing, you can often lose it. And so maybe you're here and all of this is new for you and you say, I've never really learned about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, God has more than before. Or maybe you're here and you'd say, well, Justin, I've experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, praise the Lord. But Jesus said in John 14 that the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do because I go to the Father. And so if your life isn't currently being lived through the greater works than what Christ did, then I think he has something more for you. I think he has more than before for you too, that God wants to continue to expand your capacity and fill you with the Holy Spirit. So fan into flame, fan into flame. So what's the purpose of God? in promising the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what's available through this promise of power. Well, Matthew 3 and 2 Timothy 1 both describe the Holy Spirit as a fire. And I want to focus on that today and explore together the nature of fire a little bit because it's my desire by God's grace to educate, right, today that we would explore this truth because it's the truth you know that sets you free, but then also to engage this truth and pursue the Lord for more, and so what we see in fire is that fire consumes, fire expands, fire provides, and fire warms. Have you ever lost something in a fire? I hope that you haven't. Um, when I was 25 years old, I was a part of a music group traveling, and our tour bus caught on fire. I've shared that story before, and you know, pretty traumatic experience in my life. But in the tour bus was my really my most prized possession. It was a 1969. Gibson hummingbird guitar that my dad gave me, and I just loved that guitar. It was just the greatest guitar, and when the bus caught on fire, the the guitar was inside, and I I went in, and uh, after the bus had been put out, the, the fire had been put out, and I just kind of explored the rubble, and I found this little piece of metal that was the bridge of the guitar. That was all that was left, and so the fire had consumed the entire thing, right? It had consumed the entire guitar because that's what fires do. Fires consume. So I think a relevant question for each of us to ask as we reflect on the filling of the Holy Spirit is what consumes you? What consumes you? Think about your life. Think about the last week. Think about the last month. This is just like honesty time with you and God, right? We're at church. So, so you can be real. I'm not going to make you raise your hand or put your answer up on the board. But what I want you to ask today is what consumes me? As I think about my life over the last year, are you consumed by fears, Are you consumed by your career? Are you consumed by your family? Are you consumed by your appearance? Are you consumed by what other people think? What consumes you? We all have various tensions living inside of us, seeking to consume us. But what I know is that when you experience a filling of the Holy Spirit, God becomes an all-consuming passion in your life. He becomes all-consuming, and something changes. I love the description of the New Testament church that's been baptized in the Spirit in Acts 2.42. It says they got together every day, right? Think about this. They gathered daily. They were sharing Christ every day. They were at the temple. They were in the streets, always together, praying, eating food together, hanging out. And most of us read that and we go, that feels a little disruptive, you know? Like, when am I gonna watch TV if people are always at my house? How am I gonna keep up with my kid's sports schedule? Like they, it seems like they just got invaded by Jesus people in their lives. And they did. But what you have to understand is it wasn't obligation, it wasn't religious responsibility. It's not like the pastor was up there going, All right, you better be in church every single day. That's not what was happening. They just wanted it. They just, you see the difference? They just wanted it. I remember when I first began to call out to the Lord. And I learned, a preacher preached about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and it just created in me such a desire. And I started praying. I'll never forget I, I, that night. I got home, and I said, God, I was just a teenage kid. I was like, God, fill me with your power. <laughs> you know what happened? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. I sat there. I was like, just give me tongues and prophecy. And give me everything, like power. Just Give me power. Nothing happened, so the next day I prayed again and nothing happened, and the next day, it was two years of me asking constantly before I actually experienced an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Now, why? I have no, I don't know, I don't know. We'll explore that a little bit later in the sermon, but 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 in two years' time, I can remember so clearly the night that I did experience Filling of the Holy Spirit, and I left that church service after asking God again and again, asking God, crying out to God in the mystery of God, not knowing why it wasn't happening. I know it was a gift. Why isn't it coming about? And then, and then experiencing the power of God. I remember I got home and I just prayed in my room as a teenage kid for hours and hours. And the next day, and the day after that, I can remember my friends and my family just saying, "What, what is going on with you? What you don't seem to care about all these other things anymore? What's changed in you?" And I didn't even have words. I was like, "I don't know." I don't know. But the obvious reality of experiencing the Holy Spirit is that I was consumed. I was consumed. All I wanted was Jesus. All I wanted was to be with the people of God. All I wanted was to experience more and more of God. And you might hear that today and say, you know, that sounds a little extreme. I'm not sure if I want that kind of consuming thing. But the truth is, check this out. If this is real, If heaven and hell is real, if Jesus and the cross and the resurrection of the dead is real, if all the things that the Bible says is real, if angels and demons and all this stuff is actually real, then the only rational response is to allow it to be the consuming passion of your life. And so just, just try this on for size. If it's not real, then what are you doing here? Go out to breakfast, do something else. Don't waste your time. If it's not real, then let's all go do something else. But if it is real, then let's actually act like it's real and let's live it as the primary purpose of every moment that we are breathing. And that's what God wants to stir in us even now. The truth that this is in fact real and it must become more important to me than my sports teams and my hobbies and my career and my vacation and all these other things that compete. See, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, a new perspective comes upon you and this is the first implication of the filling. I'm gonna give you four. The first is the fire consumes a new passion for God. And some of us, we need that right now. We need a new passion for God. We need the Holy Spirit to come upon us and give us a fresh, consuming passion, and so if that 's you and you'd say, "My heart 's kind of cold, my heart's kind of dry." I would just challenge you to begin to invite the Holy Spirit to stir your heart with a new passion. The fire consumes, but the fire also expands. when I was a kid, we, uh, we used to go camping every summer with my dad, me and my brother and uh, we go camping, and at night, we had this tradition. My dad called it the old Boy Scout tradition. Now, I wasn't a Boy Scout, but I tend to think that this was not a Boy Scout tradition because what we used to do is we would we would prepare the fire, and then we would dump a ton of kerosene on the fire, and then one of us would get the privilege of lighting the match and throwing it, and it would go boom! And the whole goal was to like singe the tree 20 foot above. You know, like, I mean, like the goal was like, let's light this thing up. But it always fascinated me that a fire could go from just a little tiny spark to an engulfing flame in an instant, you know? And if that's true of the physical fire, so it is also of spiritual fire. See, the fire expands. It expands who you are. It gives you capacity that you didn't have before. And we see this in Acts as the disciples become different versions of themselves. In Acts 2, before they experience the filling of the Spirit, they're scared, they're timid, they're insecure. And then after they experience the Holy Spirit, they're still wrestling with their sins. They're not perfectly sanctified, right? Last week, we learned about the process of sanctification, but in the midst of their messed up sinfulness, they're now experiencing a new sense of boldness, a new sense of assurance, a new sense of confidence. See, the fire expanded their life. And even the religious leaders met Peter and John after they were filled with the Spirit, and they think, who are these guys? They're so confident, they're so sure, They're so big in their faith. Why are they so confident? And all they knew is they had been with Jesus. I've shared this before, but years ago, I felt God's calling to preach. And I was invited to preach at my college, my junior year. And I remember I was so scared. I wasn't a preacher. And and naturally, I'm actually more of an introvert. I'd rather be alone. I don't like refuel in crowds. I refuel by myself. And and, and, and so it wasn't like my nature to want to go and preach. And I kept feeling this call to preach. And, um, and, and I remember that I got this invitation to, to speak at my school and I was terrified. And I was, I was laying on the floor in my dorm room, which that's an act of faith right there because the funky floor uh, that never got clean was my dorm room. And, and I'm laying on the floor just crying out to God. And I can remember so clearly shaking physically shaking in timidity and fear, just saying, God, I can't, I can't do this. I'm like, I don't know what to say. I'm gonna look like an idiot. God, help me. And I can remember in that moment, and it was a moment, the Holy Spirit came upon me and I experienced a great filling of the Spirit. And I stood up off the ground of my dorm room and I realized that internally all the timidity And all the fear and all the anxiety about sharing Christ was gone. And I went up and I preached my heart out. And from that day to this day, almost 20 years, I have never felt timid sharing Christ one time. Now, that's not my nature. That's the spirit of God. In fact, just a few months after that happened, it was really tested. I was I was, uh, I was, at the time, I was an intern for the Department of Children and Families getting a degree in social work. And so I was in the courtroom one day and I was, there was a court proceeding going on. It had nothing to do with me. I was just there to be the intern. And so I'm sitting there kind of minding my own business and the courtroom's about to be dismissed and the judge's about to let everybody go. And he stops right in the middle of it. This is just a few months after my encounter with the Holy Spirit in my dorm room where I feel that, felt this supernatural boldness. And he stopped and he looked at me. He said, uh, and who are you, young man? And I was like, me? I'm the intern, like, I, you know. I'm nobody, you know. I'm just here to—I don't know. I'm taking notes. So I stood up because you have to stand up when the when the judge talks to you. And he says, "And what do you do?" And I said, "Well, sir, I'm a—I'm an intern, you know, at the Department of Children and Families and everything else." He said, "Oh, so you're going to be a social worker when you graduate?" I said, "No, sir. Actually, I'm going to go into ministry." He said, "What kind of ministry are you going to go into?" I said, "Well, actually, I'm a part of a music ministry. At the time, I was leading worship uh, in various places." And uh, and he said, "Really, a music ministry?" I said, "Yes, sir." And this is already awkward, right? There's like a lot of people in a courtroom. Why are we having a conversation right now? And and so he says to me right in the middle of the court. he says, music ministry. I said, yes, sir. He said, sing me a song. I was like, (laughs) true story. So so I sang him a song about how he needed to give his life to Jesus. (laughs) And when I was done, he asked me, he said, do you think Jesus really is the way? And I said, yes, sir, I believe that. And he said, thank you, courts dismissed. And he let me leave. And I walked out thinking that was one of the strangest encounters of my entire life. But you know what really struck me wasn't the strangeness of the encounter, but it was that through the whole thing, I didn't feel scared at all. What is that? That's not me. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. See, the fire of God can expand Your capacity. That's why it says in Acts 4, look at it. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled, there it is, with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What if right now in your own life, regardless of your history or your past, you began to say, Lord, I need a greater filling of your boldness. I need a greater encounter with the expansive power of the fire of God. That's the second implication of the filling of the Holy Spirit, the fire expands. A peculiar boldness. A peculiar boldness. Why do we speak of a peculiar boldness? Because sometimes when we think of boldness, we think of like arrogance and self-confidence, and that's not what this is. This is humility. It's, it's built not on my ability, but on Christ's ability in me. It's an assurance of a God who is for me, not a confidence in my own capacity. It's a supernatural boldness, and it looks different because it carries itself with humility. And I believe that if there's any great need. In our time, in our day, it is a need for Christians to be at your workplace and in your neighborhood and living amongst everybody else and living with this sense of confidence and supernatural boldness because we're living in a time where fear and timidity and anxiety is the air That we breathe, right? We just went through two years of a global pandemic, and it changed us. It isolated us. It challenged us. It it forced us to, you know, uh, change all of our plans. And it changes, and it created in our culture this small thinking, this small mentality. Let me just survive. Let me just make it through. And I don't know if you heard, but it seems like in Western Europe, all the numbers of COVID are spiking again, right? Just when we feel like things are getting better. And it's not just COVID, right? There's also a war in Ukraine that's happening right now. That's a pretty big deal. And it's not just the war. Ukraine. I don't know if you heard flying spiders are supposed to come and invade the East Coast in the next few weeks. And so just when you thought things were getting better, it doesn't seem that that's necessarily the case. But here's what I want to tell you. When the boldness of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're not scared of any spider. You're not scared of any war. You're not scared of any illness because you know that he holds you in the palm of his hand. He has a purpose for you. And until your purpose is complete, you're immortal. You will not die until he's completed. His plan for you. And so you can be sure that whether it's today or a thousand years from now, I'm going to be in the center of God's will. And when that assurance comes upon you, when that certainty changes you, you look different in the world around you because you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. So fire consumes, fire expands. But anthropologists tell us that they've never found a human society that has lived without fire, that uh, fire is an essential aspect of every people group We've ever found on earth fire cooks our food heats our homes powers our electricity fire in so many ways is a gift that Oftentimes we take for granted today, but it really does change every aspect of life And it it enables us to do things that would otherwise be completely impossible And so we're thankful for all the gifts that come through fire It is a great provision for us in the same way when you're filled with the spirit God releases in your life the gifts of the spirit now the gifts of the spirit are power beyond your natural ability. Sometimes they align and amplify your natural gifts, but then other times they're actually very different from your natural gifts, but they're from the Lord, okay? These gifts of the Spirit, and throughout the New Testament, It really describes three categories of gifts, all right? There's leadership gifts that the Lord releases on people, things like teaching, apostleship, pastoring. There's power gifts that God releases, things like prophecy, tongues, words of knowledge. And there's community gifts that the Lord releases, things like service, helps, administration. The first group of gifts, these leadership gifts, they guide the church. The second group of gifts, they move the church forward. The third group of gifts, they connect the church to each other. And the incredible thing about the scripture is that the Bible says that God gives every believer spiritual gifts. And so he didn't skip you. He didn't like go around you. You have spiritual gifts from God. Maybe they're undiscovered. Maybe they haven't yet been released. Maybe you haven't experienced the fullness of those gifts. But the good news is he didn't skip over you when it comes to spiritual gifts. He gave you exactly what you need to fulfill your call for his purpose in this world. And if this makes you interested, if this intrigues you, then you have to come back next week because I'm spending the whole, week, well, whole Sunday next week teaching on spiritual gifts. And so I turn that person next to you and say, we got to come back next week. We got to, yeah, we got, we should bring a friend. Yeah. So we're going to talk about spiritual gifts next week and explore it a little more because it's spiritual gifts that make the church distinct. Like we're not here to be a, like a happy social club, right? We're not here to like be like, you know, just to like a a, a membership to a, a group. No, no, we're here to be the body of Christ. And the body of Christ needs elbows and hands and feet, and it needs all kinds of things. And church is not this Sunday thing we do for 90 minutes every week. Church is the people of God spread out in homes, living life, doing mission all together, and then coming together to worship Jesus, study the word, and go out again and make a difference. That's the people of God. That's the church. That's the body of Christ. And he's called you to play a critical role. And so this is the third implication of the filling of the Holy Spirit, the fire provides unique spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts that he planned before eternity passed for you. Next week, we'll help you figure out what those are and how do I grow in my spiritual gifts. So the fire is a consuming passion, a peculiar boldness, the release of spiritual gifts. But there's something else that's central to understanding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I wanna suggest to you today that it's probably the most neglected and um, forgotten aspect of the filling of the Holy Spirit and also, I believe, the most important aspect of the filling of the Holy Spirit and to connect it back to fire. You know, I'm grateful for all the benefits of a fire, but on a freezing cold night, what I need the fire to do more than anything else is keep me warm, right? Keep me warm. And if you've ever been close to a roaring fire, you know it just changes everything. Like your skin gets hot and your insides get warm. See, just as fire warms the skin, changes the atmosphere of a room, so the baptism of the Spirit warms the heart and changes the atmosphere of every relationship in your life. And this is God's highest intention in the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's that you would be changed by His love for you. That His love for you would be poured out upon you in such a personal and profound way that it would fundamentally change the very essence of your identity that you would discover an acceptance in God and an affection from God that would answer the deep questions of value and worth that have been fueling insecurity in our hearts, our whole lives. See, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, God also makes available an outpouring of his love that changes you to such a degree that you are so convinced that he is for you, that every relationship in life looks different. Look at it in Romans 5. He says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love, here it is, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given us. See, the fullness of the Spirit is not the expression of some miraculous gift or some supernatural power. The fullness of the Spirit is, is described in Ephesians chapter three. Look, he says, to know the love of of Christ that surpasses knowledge. In other words, you can know it in your head, but now you know it in your knower. Now you know it in your bones. Now you know it in your soul. Now you know it in your guts that you may be filled with, there it is, all the fullness of of God. See, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, God releases into your life a reality of His love that changes you, that causes you to answer those deep questions in the soul so that now, because you are loved so profoundly by the one whose opinion matters most, now by grace you can forgive those who have wronged you. Now by grace you can live beyond yourself. You can sacrifice willingly. You can serve others joyfully. You can finally make life not about you, because his love for you has already affirmed you in your core. Oh, this is the power available to those who receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul calls it the more excellent way. He says, if I speak in tongues of men, this is in 1 Corinthians 13, and of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If you have the supernatural gifts of the Spirit without the supernatural love of the Spirit, you end up taking things that were intended to be beautiful and making them noise. And so God's calling you to a greater encounter with the Holy Spirit because fire consumes, it expands, it provides. But there's this fourth implication that my heart is so hungry for us to experience in greater measure, and it is that the fire warms. A love beyond words. A love beyond words. And so somebody's here and you're hearing my words today and you've never really considered the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You never really asked for the filling of the Holy Spirit. You never really sought the Lord. And, you know, you've been living your Christian faith with two horses attached to the front, not realizing there's 300 horsepower underneath the hood. And and I just want to encourage you that right now something's changing, that God's calling you to pursue him for the fullness of the Spirit. Or maybe you're here and and you have experienced the Holy Spirit, but you need to fan that into flame. Maybe you haven't tended the fire or you've lost sight of it and you look at yourself now and you say, you know, my life's not really defined by a burning passion or a peculiar boldness or I'm not really growing in the gifts of the Spirit or in this encounter with genuine love. Well, I, I pray that even now, God would just come upon you with a hunger for more than before. So how do I experience the filling of the Holy Spirit? I wanna end with this. Luke 24, Jesus calls this experience the promise of the Father, okay? The promise of the Father. We already saw in 2 Timothy 1, he calls it the gift of God. So why would they call it a promise and a gift? Because we have a tendency to try to earn this. We have a tendency to try to be good enough for more of the power of God. And and that's a misunderstanding. You can't earn a gift. You can't earn a promise. It's received freely. But you must first realize what's possible, then believe that it's available and then seek until it's tangible. Seek until it's tangible. And I think this is where a lot of us struggle because you might be here and similar to me in those two years while I was just waiting and waiting and waiting for God to answer my prayer, you said, Justin, I prayed for more of the spirit and I, I prayed, I really did. I prayed and I asked God and um, nothing happened. And then I came to that special church service we had and I lifted my hands and, and, and then nothing really happened again. And so I'm just wondering, what am I doing wrong? You know, like, what am I doing wrong? I think I'm doing it wrong. Should I say certain words? Is there like a special formula or something to experience more of the Holy Spirit? Well, let me try to illustrate. A caterpillar is not a particularly beautiful creature, right? Slow, small, weak. But we all know that a caterpillar enters a cocoon and there's this metamorphosis, right? They reappear as something new. They grow wings. They fly. It's beautiful. It's glorious. But the strange part of this phenomena, known as metamorphosis, is the timing. Scientists tell us that caterpillars will sometimes break forth out of their cocoon in a couple days. Other times, it's a couple of weeks. They've even found caterpillars that stayed in the cocoon for up to three years, and they've been studying, you know, why is there such a difference? Even among species, sometimes there's pretty dramatic differences for how long the caterpillar stays in the cocoon, and so far, the scientists are like, We don't really know exactly why. But we do know that if you interrupt the process, you compromise the results. And so if you're praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit and you haven't received the fullness yet, my advice is you got to keep squirming and stretching and struggling and asking and seeking and knocking and waiting and calling. And if you continue, something is going to happen. And maybe it happens today. And maybe it happens tomorrow. Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he gives one of the weirdest stories in the New Testament and connects it to prayer. He tells the story of a man who has a friend show up in the middle of the night and he wants to feed his friend. And so he knocks on his neighbor's door and asks for bread. And it's the middle of the night and the neighbor's like, no, go away. And he says, no, I need some bread. I'll pay you back, but I just need it now. Can I, can I have some bread? And, and the man's like, No, I'm in bed. Go away. And he keeps knocking and knocking and knocking. And Jesus says that even though these neighbors are cordial, they're friends, he doesn't help them because he's his friend. He helps him because he's annoying. He helps him because he doesn't stop. He helps him because of his importunity. That's a word we don't use very often. Importunity means shameless persistence. And then Jesus takes a weird story like that and connects it back to here's how you pray. In other words, what he's telling us is there's a mystery in this thing called the kingdom of God. There's a mystery in this overlap of the now and the not yet. There's a mystery in this heaven and earth dynamic that we don't fully understand, but what we do understand is that those who continue to seek, find. Those who continue to knock, the door is open. Those who continue to ask, receive. And so many of us are living on those two little horses because we stopped asking for the fullness of the spirit. And so my desire for you and for you and for us is that God would build a community in pursuit of his fullness, that God would build a community that's passionate about all that he offers us. And so I want the love of God overwhelming my soul and redefining my core. I want the power of God in the gifts of the spirit, earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. And I want the boldness of God in greater measure than I've known. And I want the passion of the God's priority in my life like I've never known before. And as each of these things expand, I become more and more and more, like John chapter 14, and the things that I do, he will do also, and greater works will he do because I go to the Father. And so I want to invite you today into a theology of the Spirit that allows us to live a seeking God life. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? I want you just to reflect on these four thoughts. Four thoughts. We explored today the nature of fire, the nature of the baptism of the Spirit. And I drew out for you four specific implications of the filling of the Spirit. And I just want you to take a moment in reflection today and just look at those implications in light of your life. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And if if one or more of those implications are not active in your life, I just want to encourage you to ask God today for a greater encounter with His Spirit, a greater filling of His Spirit. So the first one is the fire consumes. Has a passion for God taken precedence in your life? Just become your supreme priority? And if not, even now, pray the dangerous prayer of asking God to consume. The fire expands. Have you experienced the supernatural boldness where the Lord enables you to have a humble confidence because the filling of the Holy Spirit always expanded the capacity of those that experienced him? And if that's not your reality, begin to ask him, oh Lord, would your fire expand? The fire provides supernatural gifts of the Spirit. The scripture teaches us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Would you begin to ask him for greater gifts of the spirit even now? And the most important, the fire warms. Have you been changed by his love? Has he quieted the deep ache of insecurity by a revelation of his love? And I can tell you today that that I have experienced each of these things at various times in my life. And I am more aware than ever that I have not arrived. It's true that I'm more than before, but I also know that he has so much more for me. And so I want to invite you to take another step. I want you to even begin to seek the Lord for a greater filling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this is the first time you've ever asked maybe you've been seeking God for a while now. But I want to pray for you. And if one or more of those areas resonate with you, Jesus said, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So he gives us an invitation to ask. Far be it from us not to take that invitation. And so if you're here today and you say, yeah, you know, I want this. I just want to invite you all across this room right now just to, just to lift up your hands as a symbol of your invitation to God. I love that physical symbol of surrender and victory, the lifting of our hands. And I would just say, Lord Jesus, let today be the day. Lord Jesus, I pray that even now as we sing, that you would plant in our hearts A greater desire for you, and that you would meet us with an encounter with your Holy Spirit. I pray for a fresh filling even right now. I pray for a fresh filling of passion and boldness. I pray for a fresh filling of the gifts of the Spirit and supernatural love. Lord, would you move across this room as we lift our voices in song? Would you meet us in power? We welcome you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000 and one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.